welcome to the All In Podcast, and this week we are joined by former Finnish national team volleyball player, high-performance behavior coach, Sana Koljoen. In this podcast, we talk about three things to think about when it comes to mindset and mental training, how to thrive under pressure and be more in the present moment to overcome your nerves, as well as Sana's own personal story with professional sports. I really enjoyed talking to Sana about some of the different cultures that go on in sports and just in Finland in general, as well as hearing the mindset and the thoughts that she went through when she had this freak accident. So without further ado, let's go all in. This is your host, Natalie Allport, and on this podcast, we dive into the mindset, knowledge, and stories behind inspiring and passionate individuals who know what it takes to go all in. So whether you're here for motivation, to learn something new, or just real conversation, I'm humbled you're listening and stoked to go all in with you. Welcome to another episode of the All In Podcast. We're joined by Sana Kolyonen, former Finnish national team volleyball player and high performance uh, behavior coach. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me, Natalie. And yes, you actually did pronounce my name very nicely. <laughs> so good job. Awesome. Yeah, it was those few times that I practiced before we hit record and uh, it paid <laughs> <Yeah>. off. <laughs> that was good. Well, I'm excited because it's always fun, like talking with people that you meet on Clubhouse, which is audio mm-hmm. only and like seeing them face to face. It's funny because I say like in real life, but like Zoom has become the in real life now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Likewise. Awesome. So could you walk me through like what you're doing now? Because obviously you're you're from Finland and now you're living in mm-hmm. Boulder, Colorado. So what brought you there? Yeah. So, yeah from Finland and then I played professionally in Finland and also in Germany and France like the professional club season was something that took me to play in Germany and France and Finland and then during the summer I was part of the national team and that's when like I lived most of the time in Finland I cannot say I lived in Finland that's when you travel around a lot and then I got injured in December 2018 very badly and that's when my sporting career was over in in a heartbeat basically and that's when I decided like well I cannot like stay here in Finland or in Europe because that's where my player bubble is you know like that's and I need to get a little bit further away so I can actually recover somewhere Mm -hmm. and then I got this opportunity to come and start coaching as a volunteer assistant at Colorado University of Boulder so I was like okay awesome let's do that and then I packed my bags and I have been living here all that like close to Boulder now for here in seven months or something it has been awesome yeah so I really love being here that's so cool that's so awesome and I think that that shows a good point of like sometimes you need to get out of the same environment that um something happened to you for example uh for me like when I left snowboarding I went through a really dark time and I went mm-hmm. to Bali for a month and that was amazing and I thought it cured everything and of course you come back into the exact same environment and you start realizing the old patterns come back so um was that one of the reasons why you felt like you know this opportunity was also a great change just like mentally for you yeah, absolutely. So it was so far away, like also geographically, which was like it's scary because of like I do love my family a lot. So it's not about like I want to escape them. It was more just like I know that like all my friends are still playing volleyball mm-hmm. and I knew that I wanted to be there as well. So then having the chance of like starting kind of like a new career, but still within volleyball and coaching was awesome. So then that's when I did that. And also this I was able to work remotely to the company called Extended Disc, who I started working for basically the moment that I got injured. So that was also another cool opportunity for me to do both of those at the same time and still keep keep my head kind of in in a good place, even though my body was still very much recovering from everything. 
Right. Yeah. So I'm excited to go into what you're doing now, like all the high performance stuff, but I want to go back to the Mm -hmm. beginning and kind of go through your story. So how did you even find volleyball? Was that your first sport that you kind of fell in love with as a kid? Yeah, it was. So, or anything that just had anything to do with sport was the thing that I just, just wanted to run around and just play with friends and compete. And I think one of the fun stories that I just still keep telling is like when people like, in a lower elementary school wanted to come to my birthday parties and I was like yeah cool okay we get like people to come in our house so we were living kind of like further away from everybody but I had a huge backyard so then I was like creating this obstacle race for people to come, <laughs> to come in I like it. And, yeah so I think all the girls who were just like oh my god I'm so happy to go to her place and start eating cake and I'm like okay cool we're gonna compete there's no cake there's gonna be an obstacle race for us so <laughs> That explains a little bit like how my attitude in childhood was. So I was super active from from very very young age on. And then my both parents were coaching volleyball at that time. So then when I was a kid, I was always in the gym, like just walking there. And as soon as they can put me, could put me into some kind of a team, that's when they did what what they did to me. And yeah, so I have been playing volleyball since I was probably like four, but did all other sports as well. I'm curious, did they, yeah, did they like push volleyball on you or did you kind of just choose it naturally from being at the gym all the time? Very naturally. So, because they were just like there anyways. So I was playing around with balls and with different kinds of sports all the time. And then I was still doing like, yeah, track and field for a longer time and gymnastics as well. But then volleyball was just something that was like easy to continue also when I was older. So because I am from a very, very small town, so it's called Bihtipudas. That could be another okay. fun like pronouncing, <laughs> pronunciation challenge for you, but maybe for another time. <laughs> so then there's so few people living in there. So it, there, it's not like there's going to be tons of opportunities. So then when I was 13, I was like, I had to choose, do I want to keep doing gymnastics or actually volleyball? Mm-hmm. Because if I would have chosen gymnastics, I would have needed to move to Uvascula, which is like 150 kilometers away. So hour and 30 minutes away okay when you're 13 who moves <laughs> no yeah so I'm not gonna move anywhere I'm gonna stay home and play volleyball so that's kind of like how everything went more towards volleyball because there were no other options but it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it or anything so I was very happy just to keep playing volleyball and all was good Mm, I'm always so interested in especially athletes that come from different countries or smaller countries about that because for example like growing up I played hockey and at a time my family thought we might move down to Florida and they were saying uh, which we didn't but they were saying Mm. uh, if you move there you won't have like a hockey opportunity you'd have to like fly to a different town to play hockey and I was like wait what I just didn't you know here in Canada hockey is so normal to be everywhere you can play just outside and there it's so different and so I think it does kind of breed specific athletes based on where you are because for example maybe if you had gymnastics perhaps you would have stuck with it yeah I totally agree and I think that's one of the big things how some sports are getting bigger in some cities or in villages or so on so volleyball in Finland is one of those things that is like one of those sports that is kind of like in this very smaller rural areas okay and and so it's not concentrated on big cities at all so that's one of those, like, everybody knows that, okay, the volleyball teams are somewhere like in the middle of nowhere or <laughs> not, not the greatest, like bigger cities in Finland and still like big cities in Finland are like super tiny compared to like, US cities. Oh yeah. Well, that, that's so interesting. Cause I wouldn't think of volleyball as being like a smaller 
like a smaller city thing because it does require multiple players versus maybe like mm-hmm. an individual sport or something like Finland has kind of like a like a winter scene so maybe a winter sport like what what are some of the bigger sports or the biggest sports in Finland like at school was volleyball the most popular or were there other ones yeah so hockey is very big in Finland yeah and then soccer during the summer but we're not very good at soccer we're actually good at good at hockey <laughs> and then then I think we go through different trends so when I was a kid track and field was pretty big and also cross-country skiing oh, nowadays yeah, yeah. it it's really isn't that big anymore you know like oh, they're like okay they are really good at it the ones who really make it to the top but still it's not like there's going to be tons of like grassroots people still doing that mm-hmm. sport because it's not that like trendy anymore so maybe now we have floorball which is making like they're having a more and more people doing that and also the system in Finland is very different so we don't basically have like university sports like you have in USA okay. it's more like you do club on the side and the clubs are often run by volunteers so it's more like after school you might go to a club practice and then so for example for me when I went to university then the nearest club that had a first league D team that I wanted to play for was hour and a half away. Oh so, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So then I was traveling after like the school days to practice and from practice back to there or whatever. But yeah, it's a little bit different system, a little bit, a lot of a lot different system and for sure like pros and cons in both, but yeah, that's a little bit background information here. Oh, wow. Yeah. If any college athlete is listening to this and of course there's a lot of kind of publicity going around about the insane schedule of college athletes lately of mm-hmm. just like the mental health stress of doing that. Um, if you can just imagine, you just share that you have to drive an hour and a half versus college students. They don't have to have a car. They're living on campus. They can just like walk over to the gym and then go to class. Meanwhile, like if you're driving an hour and a half each way, that's like three hours of travel time each day to go to practice. Yeah. And that was one of the reasons why I applied then like, um, 2011, I had an exchange trip in Georgia Mason university because I was so tired of actually driving around so much. And I felt like my body is not recovering, but I still was very ambitious with school at, at the same time. So that like whole combination was getting really tough on me. So then I heard these opportunities in the USA. So I applied and it's, it's a long story, but I ended up then going to George Mason university for that six months. And I was just like, this is just a dream. You can just like walk to practice from here. And yeah, I'm sure like the, the load for school was like, was decent. I'm not saying that, but at the same time I was just, I was really happy for a second. I was like, this is kind of easy right now. Yeah. Well, compared to what you were doing with all that driving time, it must've been just like a little bit easier to manage your schedule. Yeah, it was. But at the same time, um, like one of the differences is like when you are playing for the club in, in Finland, you do also get some money for it, at least in volleyball, mm-hmm. not in every okay. single sport, but like that was the, the good part about that too. So you do get like also funding from the government to study. So whenever you get to the college, then I was getting $460 or euros per month to cover my living. And then I got money from playing not much, but enough that I could actually like get by and I don't have to take any loans or anything. So that was, I like, that's a sweet system too. Like, even though it's tough, it is still kind of like, it produces like semi-professionals easy. 
Ah, yeah, I've heard only good things about like the culture in like Finland, Norway, Sweden. Uh, it's definitely like on my must-list travel places, but just the culture seems amazing. Like the, just the systems with school and with mm-hmm. sports, it just sounds much better than kind of like in Canada. There's not there's not a huge push on sports. And then in the U.S., there's almost so much of a push on sports that athletes get taken advantage of. But you mm-hmm. guys seem to have like a cool, like kind of sweet spot in the middle there. I hope so. <laughs> I think... <laughs> Uh, something that I would say that we're struggling in Finland is in most cases, like the funding of sport has been something that you can see, like, even though we do get a little bit of money for that, but then when people are graduating from schools and they don't get any more like that for up to 500 a month, then it should be for the club's responsibility, basically to cover that or more, you know, right. because then you would be moving into an adult life and you would need a real salary for a month. <laughs> And that's when it comes to you like, okay, well, do I want to play for a thousand bucks a month or do I want to get a job now when I have a degree? And that's yeah. where we have like this biggest struggle, at least in volleyball and some other sports as well. Like there's just not enough of money to actually produce professional athletes. So that's when many people either leave or quit. And that's, I, yeah. yeah. That middle zone, I think for anybody is extremely difficult. Like I know, for example, for myself, all of a sudden I have to compete at World Cups and Junior World Championships, but I'm going to say a World Cup competing against the best athletes on the world who were like 10 years older than me and they're winning all the prize money and they have the big sponsorships and I have to pay to go to the same events and I'm not going to win. So I'm not going to be able to get the exact same sponsorships or the same prize money. And that's like, I think that middle ground part is like, there needs to be something that solves that I think in sports and it's just, no one has really came in there and solved that issue. I love that you brought that up because yeah, I totally agree. Like there are the elite levels that are making ton of money, but then usually there's a big gap between the people then like afterwards, even though they're kind of like almost close to get there, but they're not there yet. And that's why it seems like they're just making so less money that doesn't make sense for them in the long term. It's more like you can sustain it for a year or two. And if you don't break through, you're kind of like, okay, well, I, don't, I just financially cannot anymore do this because it doesn't make any sense. So like some yeah. kind of system around that would be amazing if somebody could just say, come and solve that. <laughs> I think even like the level of sports would increase because for example, like you have those top athletes and they stay at the top forever. And you're like, how? Because mm-hmm. there's these younger athletes that you see progress really quickly. But then at that level, it's because once they get there, they might have to quit because after a year or two, they can't financially sustain themselves. But you're like, if imagine if they could they probably could have become that elite if just you know they had another six months or another year yeah I do agree with that as well because it and like raising the level of sport like I'm ex- like especially just referring to the situation in Finland but it, it would be that way like so if we think that these people could actually put their like everything like day time and effort to volleyball that would be so much better than now when they're trying to scramble like and work part-time or full-time somewhere where they even don't want to work but they have to do it because like they need the money to do do so so that is obviously taking the time and effort away from the sport that they could be then be so much better at and that like whole thing like if they would be like let's say half of the players could actually have a job in volleyball and not somewhere outside of volleyball and trying to combine those two, that that would just bring the level of the sport in that league higher in in month, two, yeah. three months. Like, you know, I can just see like going so fast if that could just happen. 
So I, I want to go like back into your story and then just walk me through how you got onto the national team, what that experience was like, and then this injury that kind of stopped your career. So yeah, I was playing for the club teams and then you'd get picked to the regional teams in Finland and that's like from the regional teams, then the people will see you like national team coaches and then they pick the best ones to try out for the national teams. And I was never part of like any of that. I never made it to the regional teams. I'd never made it to the junior national teams when I was young, um, young player or young girl. And then that kind of like installed this idea among other like experiences that, okay, I'm good at this, but I'm not that good. Mm. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. And I love to do this. So I just loved playing and I kept playing a lot, but it was still like that. I kind of separated myself in my mind from the people who made it to those teams that I am not that good that they are. And there were some politics and everything that went like, now I know about it. But during that time when I was a teenager, I had no idea, you know, and that's how mm. I kind of grew up. And I was like, okay, I understand this, but it is what it is. So then I never thought that I could play for a national team. It was never even kind of like, it didn't occur to me that I could also be a professional volleyball player at any point. So then after uh, high school, I signed a, signed a contract with a first division team. So there's basically a league teams and then there's the first division team. So I signed a contract with the first division team because I was like, I'm never going to play in a league and like, I'm not going to be that good. And then after that season, um, I did get to the league teams after all because I got offers and then I accepted them and got to that level and still the same thing. I just thought like, well, I'm good, but I'm not that good. You know, like all the people who were in those national teams, now I was playing against them and I was like, okay, they're really good. No way I'm going to ever be there. But then just like little by little, when I played with like other professional volleyball players who came outside from Finland, they were just started telling me all this stuff, just in, like giving me different kind of input and opinions. Like, do you understand how good you could be? Mm. And, you know, and that's when like these ideas were introduced to my mind. Like, well, what if I could train to be as good as those other people are? Like, maybe I wasn't that good, but maybe I could train to be that good. And they were like, yeah, absolutely. You can, you just need a good coach and you're going to be fine. So then I got a contract from, uh, from a team from Germany. So he was a coach that I played against in Finland. And so then he got a, like he was from Germany and then he went back to Germany to coach. And then he was calling me and I was like, okay, so I've played against you. I would love to be on the same side for once. So would, would you ever consider being a professional volleyball player for my team in Germany? So I was still doing school at the same time, but I was like, yeah, absolutely. Sure. <laughs> like, wow. I, will, I will figure the school out later but yes I'm in so that's how I got to the professional stage and then after that year I also made it to the national team tryout and that's how I got to the national team so I was 24 and that's considered kind of old in Finland to make it to the <laughs> na national team level but yeah that's how I made it there and it has been amazing trip from from there on, like once my mind was actually open to the idea that I might be good too, that's when it all changed. That's, that's so cool. It was almost like you just kind of heard what you heard about yourself, like through the teenage years and not making mm -hmm. it and what coaches said or whatever it was, the politics that were maybe working against you. And it kind of just mm -hmm. got you to maybe, maybe in a sense, like it just brought you into just doing it for fun and not, you know, putting as much pressure on yourself perhaps. Yeah. 
Yeah, for I think there definitely have been those benefits that I was just enjoying it. So I definitely just kept playing and practicing a lot because I wanted to do it. It wasn't like nobody was saying to me like, because you're going to make it, make it to this thing. That's why I need to be practicing more or anything like that. Yeah, right. Yeah. So there are definitely benefits as well. But I think one of the like kind of like insights that I can talk about now later on is that because I never believed that I could be that good, I either never did anything that good. Now, like I was kind of like in this bubble of like, I'm pretty much okay. And then I did okay things. I was thinking, okay. I was, you know, like all those things were okay, but not like super good because I thought that that's not going to be me. But then later on, I kind of like did figure that out. And you made that switch. What what would you recommend now, like being a, a high performance behavior consultant and coach, if someone is going through something similar where you can see maybe you as an out, outside perspective, see the potential in that person, but they don't see it in themselves and they're just kind of coasting it. You know, they're having fun and they're enjoying it, but you know that they can make it to that next level. What would you say to them or have them do to change that belief? I think I would start with just introducing the idea that they, they do have the chance if they want to go for it. Yeah. Sometimes it, it, it takes like that, that person outside of you to kind of like have a wake up call because you can get stuck in your own world and you mm-hmm. see what, how you see yourself often gets very fixed. I find. Oh yeah, absolutely. So that's why I think the chance, like the idea of the chance is something very interesting and intriguing because it doesn't mean like you have to do it. It doesn't mean like you have to be super successful and just like right away find the professional career somewhere. But it's more like, okay, what if you had a chance? Mm-hmm. So what would you do if you would have a chance to do it? Would you do something differently? You know, and it's just like trying to get people to think like, do they want to do that? Because that's the first thing. Like, obviously, if if they're just enjoying it, but they don't want to do it for pro professional then that's okay. Then that's to stay where you are and enjoy it on that level. But if there is that like kind of like want inside, but they just haven't expressed because it's too, they feel like that's not going to be like, they're not going to be good enough for that. Then having that like idea that it actually might be possible for you is where it all starts. And then from there on, it's more just like little bit, little steps at a time of like proving yourself, like, no, you actually just progressed again. Or now you hit this little pole and now you did this and see, like you're getting closer, you know, like just trying to like encourage people to get closer to wherever they want to go, but in a way that they focus on themselves the most. And that's going to bring the, like the most excitement and progress to them. And not just like saying like, Oh, well, I'm still so far away from that, whatever X, Y, Z level, but rather to see like, okay, you can still develop. So how much could you actually get better at here? Just try to find that out. Right. Like instead of being overwhelmed by saying like, oh, I can never be these people. It's like, Mm -hmm. what if you can just like keep getting better? And like eventually those people become closer and closer and you start to believe it as you just make those little jumps in your performance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think at the end of it, like if you're like getting very close, that's when we might actually see like the last bit of it and be like, I could freaking make it. Yeah. And I think that's when you see people going all in because they see it like, no, this is absolutely hundred percent possible. And now I know what I need to do. And that's when you just see all those awesome stories happening. 
I, I love your story because I think a lot of people, uh, like my, myself included, it was like from day one, it was like, I'm going to do this. and like, I'm going to make the Olympics. This is, but then there's all this, this pressure and like this, I guess, kind of like these moments of like, I cannot do, or not that I can't do it, but like you get very stressed out when you're not performing at that level yet, because you've had this vision in your mind the whole time. And then you're very hard on yourself versus your story. It sounds so cool of how you've built yourself up where you, you did it just, you know, just for fun with perhaps less of the pressure and all of Mm -hmm. a sudden this self-belief and you just kept leveling up and leveling up until all of a sudden, oh my gosh, like I've made it here. And I think that's so cool because I, I, I mean, I can't speak for you, but I don't know. Did you really enjoy, I'm sure you enjoyed the moment once you made it there versus for me, it was like, okay, box checked. What's the next, next thing. Cool comparison for sure. Yeah. So, and I think that like the checking the boxes and the pressure are coming, like, for example, in my case, and I also now seen it in many of my clients as well. Like, let's say you hit the first professional season or something you usually are okay with that because it's like oh my god I made it and you're so happy about it and it's just like that just excited that you're there yeah. and you made it and then usually it's going to be like half of the season or then the second season that you're going to start putting that pressure on yourself like well I should know this already because I'm a pro right or I should have done this better already like I know already this and we lost the lost that kind of like mindset of curiosity and like facing this situation still as the same curiosity that we did when we started. Now we just go into those same situations with expectations mm-hmm. instead of being open to see like, okay, what is it today? How good I can be today? It's more like I should be this good today. And that's, yeah. I think where it comes, like where we start building that pressure to ourselves. And that's exactly what I also did at some point. And that's when I started digging more into their mindset side because I was like, okay, occasional highlights, not enough for me. Like I just really yeah. want to find a little bit better consistency and something is missing. And I know right now I'm getting really good technical and tactical coaching. Something else is missing. And then I was like, it's got to be somewhere in here. <laughs> like I yeah. need, need to start working also my mind and my head game. And that's when I think I got like the best performances once I understood like what is actually possible when I get my mind right. That's so important. I think a lot of athletes neglect that part. And um, especially from a young age, I find like every, all the focus, right. is like on that technical ability, the fitness, like all these other mm-hmm. aspects. And then it's like, you make it to pro and you realize something's missing or you don't quite make it and you realize something was missing. And it's like that mental piece. And yeah. I wish it started earlier for people. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's coming more and more. But still, like you said, like the younger we could start this kind of process, the less there would be problems. So when we hit the adult stages, right? Yes. So, but oftentimes I, I find like with mental stuff, we are hitting some certain wall before we start doing anything about it. It's not like we only see it missing after we hit some kind of like a roadblock. Yeah. And that's when we, we are more open to like, maybe we should be seeing like what's inside our, like how can our thoughts, for example, affect us and make us better in our sport. But if everything is going okay, it's more like not really even like considered as part of the training as much as like fitness and technical stuff. Yeah. Oh, I wish like I, if only we could all go back in time, but hopefully <laughs> like this conversations like this and, you know, mm-hmm. people doing what you're doing can change it for the next generation for sure. Um, I, I want to go into your injury, uh, and touch on that and what that process was like getting injured and then 
kind of having to switch gears on what you were doing? Yes. So it was December 2018 when I got injured and it was, so I was playing, I was playing in France, my club season that time. And then I was heading towards the European championships tournament with the national team the next summer, which was like my biggest goal so far. It has been my goal for the past two years and I had been practicing for it for so long and I was so excited about it. And then I got a bacterial infection in my ankle and it was just like winning in a shit lottery. That's how I call it. Mm. <laughs> like, there was no reasons why I got it. It was more like it was just a dirty shower room and I had um, like a broken skin uh. because I, I, I was taping my Achilles tendon previously because it was sore and so on. So that's probably how I got it. So then I got a bacterial infection inside and inside my Achilles tendon. And because I also played on the Saturday, I should have not played on Saturday. I still played. And then on Monday I saw a doctor and that's when they said like, okay, it's not an inflammation, it's an infection. And I got an emergency surgery right away. And then after that I flew to Finland because I just could not take care of myself. It was horrible. Like I was oh getting gosh. morphine for the pain. And then I got like antibiotics my on my, what do you call it? Like IV. Yeah. So they could kind of kill it. But like, I was in a French hospital and I don't speak French. So that <laughs> that's <laughs> also, like, I was like, I have no idea what's going on, but that was probably for the best. So I didn't actually know like how bad it was, mm. but yeah. So then I got kind of like released and then there was a nurse coming to see me like every other day uh, in my friend's little apartment, but because I just absolutely couldn't care, take care of myself. So I was, I could not cook or anything because the wound was still open and they wanted to leave it open. So then I flew to Finland so that my parents could take care of me, bless them. Um, and then I saw the doctors in Finland, like right after I landed and they took a, like a quick look at the wound and were like, yeah, there's no way you're going to go back home right now for Christmas. Like you need another emergency surgery right away. So then they tried to fix what they had done in France and all good until January, February when it opened again. And then I got a third surgery and then I got a fourth one when they oh actually my gosh. Yeah, installed like this machine inside my heel that was then like sucking all the bad stuff because it was like the bacterial infection was also in my bone tissue. Oh, so and, it's like spreading. Yeah. And it just didn't get better. Like it just, it was a horrible life change from going from professional athlete practicing four to five hours a day or something like that to just being a bit patient. And the only thing you can do for that leg was like, keep it elevated and don't let your heart rate go high at all. Mm. So what do you, what do you do? I was just like laying in bed for four and a half months and started dreaming about showering and having two feet on the ground. That's uh, basically how that whole spring went. That, that sounds so rough, especially being that it was almost something kind of it, totally outside your control, right? It wasn't like you were overtraining and never took care of your knees and then your knee mm -hmm. ACL tears. Like it was literally like this freak accident. Yeah. And well, one of the good things about that is like, I haven't been blaming myself mm. you know, because it's such right. a like random accident. So there was nothing that I could have done differently. This still happened. So that has given me like, that's a piece part of it. Yeah. Like this happened for whatever reason, but I cannot be blaming myself for it. So that's the good, good part. 
quote unquote. <laughs> well, I mean, for you just to even be in the mindset to take that as a good part, just like shows your mental strength and the recovery. How was that like for you? Like, what did you have to do to recover mentally? Cause I'm sure there were times where it just sucked. Oh yeah. There were a lot of times <laughs> where it just totally sucked. <laughs> and just like how many things you can question when that kind of stuff happens. It's like, you just question everything. Right. Like, why did you do sport who you are? And why, why did you do sport for so long? Like, who am I without volleyball? Am I ever going to go back to volleyball? Am I ever going to walk again? What is going to happen if I don't have a functioning leg for the rest of my life? It's like, there's just so many things, but I think that time overall, I have said, like, I am proud how I handled it considering like how hard it was. And if I would have not done any kind of like inner work before that happened, I think because I already knew like I was kind of on the edge. So then if I would have not done the inner work that I had done during the earlier years or like the previous years, I know I would have been on the bad side of that edge. So now I think I was like still able to balance. I was definitely going back and forth sometimes, but some of the like greatest lessons from that was like, even though I, I realized like, even though I didn't have that functioning leg, I could find some moments of happiness even in that situation. And that was kind of like the biggest insight that, okay, body is just a body. And I still have my mind and heart that are kind of like here and they are able to feel happiness or this life as I want it. It doesn't mean the body is everything. It absolutely is a super important thing, but that was very, very important for me to understand. That's, that's so cool. I, I think a lot of people would have handled it entirely differently. So, uh, like kudos to you because that just sounds like a crazy thing to go through and definitely extremely difficult, but I think that is really cool. The, the mindset of like, if you did tear your ACL, you'd be blaming yourself. Like, what did I do? Like I should have trained like this, or I shouldn't have done this, but there really wasn't anything. And so you kind of just, yeah, like you said, we're forced to accept what happened and take it as, as it came. Yeah. And I think meditation is one of the big things and mindfulness and like stoic philosophers were the Mm. ones that I was also reading at that point. Like things are not happening to you, but they're happening for you. And I'm like really testing that mindset. How much can I think that way? And obviously there was some anger and frustration here and there, but, um, I, I was still able to like, process that through mindfulness so that was definitely one of the biggest keys how did I survive through it and I absolutely recommend it for so so many people yeah well yeah so now you're now you're a high performance uh behavior uh consultant and coach so I want to know like what are three things that you think athletes or maybe everybody should be doing when it comes to like their mental training or their mindset practice I think just overall understanding of how important it is, like how important part like your mind is for your performance. Because that's where you start. Like once you understand that, that it is important, like your head and your mind is the thing that is also moving your body and your body's the thing that is doing all these crazy, awesome things. And that was one of those biggest insights that I got when I was laying in there in, in my <laughs> bed. And I was just like, okay, if I think about my heart and mind, they were absolutely so involved in doing these things and getting these achievements that I have done in my career, it's not only my body. So it's like understanding, like there's so much passion and like all of my thoughts were still there and they were helping me go through those things and achieve those things. So now when I was injured, I was like, okay, well, same thing. 
these two things are still here and I can live through this experience because I still do have that. And I think some people might call it like spirit and soul or whatever word will be yours, use it. So that would be the first one. The second one, I would just overall recommend my like meditation and mindfulness. And I am not even like myself, like super consistent in it, but I think it does give you that opportunity to really wind down and be aware of like what thoughts are coming to your mind and then practicing it because the more we can practice like being in this present moment. So yeah. Okay. Let's say that's the second thing, like meditation, mindfulness. And let's go. The third one is understanding the value of the present moment. And like Dr. Michael Gervais says, like all high performance, all optimal performances, they're always happening in the present moment. So if we can focus our, like train ourselves to refocus and get to that present moment, that's where usually like mindfulness and meditation come to the picture. That's where we can actually get to consistent performance, which also creates more winning. And it also relieves, relieves, yeah, pressure and the nervousness that some people feel so much. And I don't know, it's just a safe place. I think the present moment is the safe place for all of us to be. And I think we should be just pursuing trying to be more there than anywhere else. Yes, I totally agree. I love that. And I also love Dr. Michael Gervais. He's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. he is. (laughs) He is so good. Um, I I just love like everything that he shares in his takeaways. So awesome that that you quoted him and mentioned that in there. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So I I know we're we're running low on time here. I have a couple more questions I want to ask. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing is how can athletes thrive under pressure? I get asked a lot by athletes who get really nervous before an event or before a competition, or they, they perform better in practice than they do in competition. So how can maybe even tying into the whole concept of the present moment, how can athletes be better um, and really anyone be better maybe before a meeting or a big speech or whatever it is? It depends a little bit where the pressure comes from for you. Like, because there's internal and external pressure, like internal is the one that you said to yourself. And then external is the one that you feel from coming from your coaches, audiences, maybe somebody else that you're watching and they'll be like, okay, now he's judging me. And I feel, now I feel nervous because I am reading his facial expressions. But even though like it would be external, it comes down to us if we are going to be internalizing that pressure. So how do we solve that? So one of those things is exactly present moment. So if you can focus your mind back to like, okay, what are you doing right now in this moment? That's going to be so much more important than about thinking about the future anxious scenarios that might be happening because of this, what are you going to do right now? So if you can focus on the present moment again and realize like your actions right now, like matter so much more than what are you thinking that's going to happen? So that's one. And the second thing that I usually um, tell to people is that find something that you enjoy about the task that you're right now having Mm. in front of you. Because then if you can focus on the enjoyment part of it, that's going to already relieve like the pressure or the anxiousness that you have about the moment or the idea of the moment that you have. Because all of that is like, like the pressure that we feel, or then when we say like under pressure, that is something that we create by words in our minds. You know, like those are just thoughts about the moment and what that moment means to us. Mm. And that's how we create the pressure in our minds, which is something that we can also then solve, right? Because we right. created it. So if we just dig more on, like dig deeper on like, what are we thinking about this situation? Why? And just 
it's it's a great <laughs> great like internal battle to try to go like okay why do you feel that way and so on but that, those are the short couple tips for people I, I love that. And uh, if we had more time, I'm sure we would dive right into that. If anyone who is listening to this podcast, you won't hear it because I will cut cut the moment <laughs> up. But I had a power outage on my end. We had dogs barking. Um, so just a classic, you know, pandemic Zoom. We got all of the stuff going on. But I have two really quick questions I ask everybody. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll roll through them quickly because I know you got to run. But number one is what is one game changer habit that you do every day? Like just one thing that you do every day that's the biggest game changer for you morning thoughts mm. so before I get out of the bed I am thinking like how do I want to show up today and what I want to do and then before I start working I am reading through like what's my ideal day going to be look like how does it look like and I have written that like let's say I don't even care if it's going to be in one year or three years or five years from now but it's going to be like it is about the perfect day and I read that and I feel so empowered and I'm just tackling the day from like the best version of myself and not the overwhelmed me that is <laughs> very often present as well. Awesome. I love it. And so then the last one is you're at the end of your life. You're looking back. What's the impact that you wanted to have made? Oh, a good one. I would say that I really would have wanted to impact people to be more themselves just like understanding like the authentic, the more authentic they can be, the better that is for them. And so that bit, like world would basically then be a better place to be you and unique as you are. I love it. I love it. Well, I really appreciate you. I appreciate that we fought through um, the technical difficulties and, and everything. Um, yeah, we'll definitely have to have to do it uh, again and, and pull out some more awesome info from you. From anyone who's listening, I'm going to put in like your Instagram and the, uh, the show notes and everything so people can check out all the awesome programs and the content that you, you put out for athletes or for anyone who wants to be more of their authentic self and perform better and just live better in general. So again, appreciate you and thanks for your time. Thank you so much, Natalie, for having me. This was so much fun. Hey, I think that the greatest gift in life is presence. So thank you so much for gracing me with your presence of tuning in to this episode. Now, something that I would appreciate a ton and would help this podcast keep growing is if you, one, take a screenshot of this episode and share it on your social media so more people can find the podcast and hopefully we can help impact more people. As well as number two is if you can leave a rating and a written review. That means so much. And once again, thank you for being here.